This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. it's Casey. Thank you for shining on with me today. And thanks to everybody who came out to the Open Center in New York for a night of media training on Wednesday. Let's do some more of that soon, okay? This week, I'm actually at Graymore and Garrison for a summer spiritual weekend retreat. We're going to do more of that, too. KACEY.co will keep you up to date. Today, we are saving adolescent girls again. And we're sharing a weight loss story, too. You may find that helpful. But first, Reviving Ophelia. That's the book clinical psychologist Mary Pfeiffer wrote in 1994 to reframe what she called the girl-poisoning culture. Today, she has renewed and updated that bestseller with her daughter, Sarah Pfeiffer Gilliam. Mary, tell us the story. Well, I wrote Reviving Ophelia in 1994. And at that time, I was a therapist working primarily with teenage girls who were coming in with a lot of um, problems, such as pregnancy, STDs, school truancy, troubles with the law, alcohol and drug-related problems, some criminal behavior like shoplifting. And what was the theory at that time for why girls were in trouble was that they came from dysfunctional families. And as I looked at these girls and their families, and I had a daughter, Sarah, at that same time, and I realized it's not the, the dysfunctional family model that explains what we're seeing. It's the fact these girls are coming of age in a very dysfunctional culture with, with quite toxic ideas about sexuality and beauty and uh, so on. And so I wanted to write that book to say we need to have a different conversation about girls than the current one. And this new edition of Reviving Ophelia 25 years later is really motivated by the same desire of we need to have a new conversation about teenage girls. Mary, God bless you. It's so wonderful to hear in a sentence. And also, too, I think parents all over are breathing a sigh of relief. The culture is dysfunctional. It's not just that somebody got it wrong. The culture was dysfunctional. Sarah, let me ask you this. As a mom, how did Mary help you navigate the teenage years? Oh, what a fun question. Well, she was great. I mean, it's I, my dad is also a clinical psychologist, interestingly, so I had two built-in therapists in my home. Um, but she, I would say the biggest thing that she did is what I think she did with reviving Ophelia for the whole culture, which was say, girls, you're coming of age in a time when there is so much pressure on you to look a certain way and act a certain way. And advertisements in the magazines that you love to read portray women in offensive and objectifying poses. And she really helped me to think about how do I want to become a strong, confident young woman in a culture that makes that really difficult to do. But beyond that, I mean, candidly, if I had a tough day at school, I had a very, very good listener when I came home at the end of the day. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But you know what, too? A lot of parents are great listeners, but there has to be an entire culture in the house for the child to feel comfortable and for that two-way street to be open. So just my hat's off to the whole fam family. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Mary, who should be reading this book now? 
Well, we're hoping that this book is read by parents, teachers, therapists, and anyone who cares about teenage girls, including teenage girls, of course. We write it primarily for them. One of the pieces of research we did for this book was we sent copy of the original 25-year-old Reviving Ophelia to girls today and had them go through and cross out everything they thought was irrelevant or boring. I love that. That's and then brilliant. Add wasn't that good? And then add what we did need to talk about. And over and over in this, this, uh, these editions we return, we received, girls were saying social media that they really needed. So one of the main things we talk about in the book is that social media impacts every aspect of girls' development: emotional, social, cognitive, behavioral, and maturational. And so we really think that the kind of conversation we had about a dysfunctional culture in 94 really needs to happen around this first generation of digital natives, sometimes called screenagers. And what this is doing to their sense of self, their basic competencies, their skill sets, their ability to hold conversations and interact with other people, and their maturity level and abilities to move out into the adult world. There's a very big, serious conversation that needs to happen both family by family, but also across the broader culture Mm -hmm. about the impact of this very large experiment on the the selves of adolescent girls and adolescent boys, for that matter. Girls, we wrote about because that's our topic. But also, girls are much more affected by their digital use. They are the heaviest users of any demographic in the country. And they also spend their time on social media. Boys tend to spend their time on games and music. Right. Screenagers. I never heard that word before. Thank you. We're talking to Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam, Reviving Ophelia, Saving the Selves of Adolescent girls is the book that everybody should pick up. It used to be, back in the day, somebody could write something nasty about you in the bathroom, right? That was social media. Today it is right? Today it is a whole different ballgame. So uh, thank you for addressing that. Sarah, what would you like to say to teenage girls who may be listening? First of all, we were really impressed with the girls that we met with. I mean, I, I don't want to paint a real grim picture. Young women today are open-minded. They are accepting and interested in um, people from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds. They're more open to people who are different than they are. This is a generation that believes they should have a voice in our country. We've seen a really strong rise in youth activism. And actually, that's one kind of interesting piece of social media, is that that really enables young people around the country to connect and coalesce around issues that mean something to them. But what I would really say is no one, including the two of us, is saying throw your smartphone in a lake and never go online again. That's not realistic. That that ship has sailed. But really think intentionally about the kind of life you want to lead and what that looks like and what role the online world and social media should or should not play in that. And talk to your parents about that and talk to your friends about that. One of the things that was most effective with the girls that we talked to in focus groups was when peers worked together to, to put limits on their use of social media. So, for example, a group of girls would say, let's all agree that after 8 p.m., we have no expectation of we're going to text each other back or we're going to check in with each other online. That's homework time or that's 
family time or, or whatever that looks like. And when girls could come together and make some packs as peer groups or friends, they really felt supported in their, their efforts to maybe limit the effects of, of screen time and social media on their lives. Yeah. The other thing I would say is get out there and live in and interact in this world. What we're really seeing is a diminishment of girls' competence and basic efficacy and problem-solving skills. If they are in trouble, they can text their parents immediately. Girls will text their parents from the bathroom between classes at school. They are losing those opportunities to figure things out on their own. And so we really encourage girls should have part-time jobs, if at all possible. They should be out meeting all of the different kinds of people from all different walks of life that you do when you work at a Dunkin' Donuts or a a library or a Starbucks. Go out and actually have face-to-face conversations instead of having a text thread with your girlfriends on a Friday night, invite them over to hang out. And anything that can really get you out of that online world and into having those authentic, important, meaning-of-life kind of conversations that you have when you're a teenage girl. Very good. And mom, what would you say to moms? Uh, The main thing I always say to mothers is I have great empathy and respect for you. I wrote Reviving Ophelia. I started the day after my own mother died. And one of the things that was happening at that time in psychology was mothers were being blamed for a great deal that went wrong in families. And there was a a real mother bashing in the culture. Uh, We had the schizophrenic mothers and the refrigerator mothers that were theoretically causing autism, etc. And I decided that nothing I wrote in my book would give mothers a hard time. They're a long-suffering group. One of the things I would advise mothers to do is actually look at their daughter's social media. Ask their daughters to show them their friends, um, texts and posts and into, etc. Ask them to show them what they uh, see online when they call up different sites. So the mothers actually have a little bit more idea of what is happening in their daughters' lives. Uh, it's very unusual for mothers to actually look online with their daughters. And also so they can have more authority when they talk to their daughters about controlling social media. The other thing is when parents help girls take risks and then calibrate those risks so that the girl takes a risk and feels a little more confident and competent, that's a great service to the girls. So nudging girls out into, say, the world of work or uh, nudging them into planning a party at their house for their friends, or nudging them into... One of the best stories we heard was about a mother who just got really tired of her daughter uh, lying around the house all summer on a device. And she said to her daughter, you've got enough money in the bank, you can plan a trip for yourself, and I want you out of here for a week. You plan the trip and you go somewhere. Well, that was a great experience for the daughter because she learned how much competency she basically had at that point. That's Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer Gilliam. Give this book, Reviving Ophelia, to the young women you love. The dedication reads, to the rebels and the shy girls, the activists and the poets, the big sisters and the little sisters, the daughters and the dreamers, we believe in you. If you'd like a copy, email me from the website, casey.co. Next, Breakthrough M2. It could be the weight loss tool you're looking for. At CBD Live Natural, their goal is to bring their customers the best all-natural products. There is a solution to change your quality of life that will help you live naturally without prescription drugs, which means you'll feel your best. CBD aids with health issues from fibromyalgia to anxiety, joint pain and eczema, acne, and so much more. 
staff at CBD Live Natural really know their products, which helps them determine what's best for you. From oils and lotions and creams, to candles, edibles, and even pet products. At CBD Live Natural, they don't just sell the products, they're consumers just like you. So you can trust them to recommend the best all-natural products to help you live natural and feel great doing it. CBD Live Natural stores can be found in Bedford Hills, the Westchester Mall in White Plains, and the Stanford Town Center in Stanford, Connecticut. Or you could shop online at their website anytime. CBDLiveNatural.com Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for tuning in today to Shine On the Health and Happiness Show, brought to you by CBD Live Natural, Inside Custom Candle Co., in the Westchester, in Bedford Hills, and in the Stanford Town Center. Ask for Marcy Manfredonia when you're in there. Right now, I'd like to introduce you to Nan DeGrote. She found herself not living the life of her dreams, so she changed, and then she changed again, and the growing and changing goes on, and you can make a big change in your weight if that's important to you. Nan has been a math teacher, but she's now a certified health coach. Here's her story. It started when I was 18, only because I had an unplanned pregnancy at a very young age. And I went into my late teens being very thin my whole life. I was pretty upset and depressed about what I had, what happened. And, you know, I didn't know what my life was going to be like. And uh, I basically turned to food as the, my legal drug of choice. <laughs> and I put on a lot of weight during the pregnancy, over 60 pounds. By the time I came out of that pregnancy, I was a size 12 at that point. I started, like I said, at a size 3. I was 60 pounds overweight, and it's not a place that I've ever been in my life. I had a second son by the time I was 20. So my early 20s, I started out being obviously very overweight and not really focusing on that, obviously, because now I have two boys. I tried lots of diets between then and age 27. Um, I did all kinds of stuff on TV and, you know, anything at GNC, and I did whatever Dr. Oz said, you know, all of it. When I was 27, I got pregnant for my third and final child, and then when she was three years old, I went back to college. So I went to college when I was 30, and at that point, I had three kids, a full-time job, plus I was going to college. Convenience food was, you know, that was my life. You know, when the kids' books went away, mine came out. I'd go to bed very late every every night, get up very early the next morning, started all over again. By the time I was 36, I graduated with my master's degree in math and education, and I landed a great job at Goshen High School. But at that point, I was 215 pounds. So I started out at 140, and I was, by the time I got done doing all that stuff, stuff, I was 215 pounds. And then my brother asked me to be in his wedding, and I decided to try another diet. Uh, it was one with shakes and bars. I did lose. I lost 35 pounds. It took me four months to do it. I, you know, lost about a size and a half. I was pretty excited. And on the way home from the wedding, I said to my husband, I don't want to continue this. I want to get back to regular food. I want to start working out and everything else. Within five weeks' time, I gained 25 out of the 35 back. At that point, I just resorted to the fact that I was just going to have to be overweight because I got checked by the doctor. There's no thyroid issue. She just looked at me and she handed me an out-of-date food pyramid. (laughs) And she's like, you really need to lose weight. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I guess I just gave up at that point and said, well, you know, I really tried and I'm not going to keep worrying about this because emotionally and mentally it was really wearing on me. Right. And by now you've got your master's degree in math and you want to go on with your life. You don't want this. You want to carry this weight forever. You're like, heck with it. Exactly. That is exactly it. You know, I have a great family, great husband, great job now. You know, I'm just going to have to be okay with being overweight. That's it. I just have to be okay with it because I wanted to enjoy my career and everything. I loved what I was doing. 
So about a year later, my aunt came home from Florida, which happens to be, seems to be the diet capital of the world. She was doing this protocol from a doctor that was um, back in the 1940s, and his name was Dr. Simeon. She lost like 50 pounds. It took her about three and a half months, being age 60. And I, I said, my God, you look amazing, you know. And she's like, yep, you know, I kept it off. You know, at that point, it was like six months. She kept it off, and she's like, I've been doing great. I feel great. As soon as she said it was a diet, I'm like, ah, diets don't work. No, thank you. And I just put it aside. I didn't, I didn't even want to go there again. That was in July of 2011. And by October of 2011, I went to put something on out of my closet. It was like my size 16. I couldn't fit into it. Hmm. And then I had to start reaching into my size 18s in my closet. And I was like, oh, my God, I cannot go, keep going up like this. And I, at that point, I really did. I just broke down and I cried. I was actually late for work that morning. We just want to pause here for one moment to acknowledge all the women who have been late because they were crying in the closet. <laughs> right? This is so a story <laughs> many people can relate to. Late yeah, because we were so crying true. in the closet. So you said, <laughs> all right, Auntie from Florida, I'm going to try your Dr. Simeon deal. Yes. It was at the end of October of 2011, I decided to try. By the first week in December, now at that point I died it through Thanksgiving, two cookie exchanges, and a Christmas faculty party that I cooked for. <laughs> I got through it all because I figured, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm going to play full on 100% see what happens. If I hate it, I'll never do it again. If I love it, well, I just can't wait to see the results. So it was about six weeks or so, and by the end of that time frame, I had lost two sizes, and I had lost close to 35 pounds. I had a lot of inflammation as well, so I had some water weight, obviously, close to 35 pounds in that time frame. At that point, I was a size 10, and I hadn't seen that 10 since God between like kid one and kid two somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. I took a break over Christmas from the diet because the diet is extremely strict. It wasn't like I wanted to eat all the food. I didn't want to do that. It was, the diet really helped teach me portion control. It, it gave me back my self-discipline that I felt that I was really missing. Right. Um, it really helped me notice like how my body reacted to things. Um, there, there's so much, if you're willing to, if you're willing to put yourself in that type of, I guess you could say, solitary confinement, and the only thing that you really have to deal with is yourself, mm -hmm. you'll learn. Right. <laughs> you'll learn who you are. You'll learn how you deal with food. You'll learn how you deal with emotions, because if you're taking that, that crutch away that I usually would turn to for food for anything that I needed to help me deal, well, I better learn how to deal otherwise, because I was no longer using the food, because I was getting the results, and I didn't want to screw that up. Right. We're talking to Nan DeGroat. We're talking about her weight loss breakthrough, and she's going to help us all, if you're interested in a weight loss breakthrough. She has information for all of us to share. But you said the term solitary confinement. First of all, if it was easy to lose weight and keep it off, we would all be the size we want to be. Correct. And it is so hard. I could lose weight easily before I was married. Having a mm. big hairy man in the house who believes in breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert really can throw mm. your game off. Here you are yeah. with a full house, right? Mm -hmm. Three boys mm -hmm. and two girls. And, mm -hmm. and, and, all, and, it's, and it's hard to say, okay, yeah. you all eat this way. I am going to yep. eat this very different way. This is something that I tell my clients all the time. And I really feel that this is the key to what we try to do with our clients. People have to learn how to put their wellness first. They have to learn how to be their own advocates. They have to learn how to say, you know what, that doesn't serve me, so I'm not doing it. 
you can do it. I'm not going to rain on your parade, but it's not going to serve me. And I have to say, I, I did some very specific things for myself to make sure I was successful. I, I prepped and cooked specifically for me every Sunday. And I made sure I had it. And I looked at my calendar ahead. If I knew I was going to four little leagues that, you know, games that, that week, I, I made sure I brought my stuff with me. If we were all eating together, I would eat first. I would sit with them, but I would eat first before I would start cooking for them. Because, you know, once you start cooking, you, you want to pick, you want it. That's what we do. And I also prepared my family, too. I let them know, listen, I'm not going to be joining in with all the eating and the, you know, the festivities. I'll be there. Don't ask me if I want to try something. Just let me be. Let, let me do what I got to do. And they were very supportive of that. And there were times when I did not want to cook for the family. If I had a stressful day, I would call my husband on the way home and say, look, you got to take them out or we got to get some takeout for them. I didn't change how they ate. Don't change what everybody else is eating. You prepare your stuff for you and then leave them alone. I think probably every woman out there probably has her shopping list almost memorized. You know, why change that for them? I just wanted to change the stuff for me and take care of me only for once. And you do have to get on that self-care role and something that yes. inspires that is uh, results. Absolutely. So you got to white knuckle it a little bit and then you get to mm -hmm. the results and then you build up momentum. So where are we in the Nan DeGroat story? I lost 35. I took a break. I got back on into I lost another 15 pounds. It took me almost the exact same time to lose the last 15 pounds. So altogether, it was about 50 pounds in about 65 to 70 days. And that was, I held that weight for four years with no issue at all. But when that happened in 2012, people kept coming to me and saying, oh my God, what did you do? So what happened was I just was kind of like just sitting with people in the faculty room or, you know, people would come to my house. I'd sit with them at the kitchen table to show them what I was doing. And that just took off. And that happened in like March. And by June of 2012, I had so many people calling me and showing up at my house. I couldn't keep up with both teaching and this. I actually kept track of all my numbers and I brought them to a financial consultant. And I asked him, I'm like, can this, can this support my teacher's salary? Because <laughs> I really love what I'm doing. And about a week later, he called me. He's like, absolutely. He goes, you can do this. Meaning leave your teacher job and take over in health consulting? Yep. And that's what I did. Okay. That's a great story. And we're happy to share the timeline with us. But now tell us what it is that ha made you lose weight and keep it off. The Simeon's protocol is really based around very specific supplements that help support the body. My supplements I have, they, they are they're formulated by me and the biologist and a homeopathist that I worked with. They support the body in cleaning the external fat that we don't need. Like all that jelly belly stuff on the outside, that's all fat people don't need. But we do have good fat on the interior that we need. So what the supplements actually help you do is clean that exterior fat. The low calorie diet that people follow forces the body to go use that fat. And it won't use good fat if it's got the exterior stuff cleaned and available. That's the entire crux of this program. You're eating all whole foods, proteins, fruits, and veggies every single day. You're drinking water, you're taking some supportive supplements, and you're losing the weight. Okay, and this you call your... The name of the weight loss company is called Breakthrough M2. And M2 stands for? Metabolic Method. Metabolic Method. Oh, it's like M squared. Yeah, okay. Metabolic Method was what Dr. Simeon called it, because medical doctors are still using this protocol today. So let me ask you this, Nan. So I'm sure I could go online and just Google the Dr. Simeon yep. Method. 
How is yours yep. different? We're extremely knowledgeable about this particular protocol. We are the only company that actually works specifically just with this protocol. We don't do anything else. We don't work with other types of weight loss supplements. We only have the one. We have tons of support in place. And that is a huge thing that our clients absolutely love about us. We have an amazing private Facebook page with over 3,000 people on there. We have the support. We have all three pieces, really. Like, everybody wants to lose weight, and I get that. And that's so important for all of us. Because for me personally, I needed to lose weight before I could get a hold of my mental and emotional world. Because for me, my weight was part of my mental and emotional issues. We want people to understand that, yes, a diet will work, but a diet will never change why you eat. So we hit the other parts of it as well, not just the physical part. We want to make sure our clients are getting the education and the support they need both mentally and emotionally to make those lifestyle changes that are actually going to make this be the last diet they ever do. That's actually one of our mottos, let this be the last diet you ever do. A diet will never change why you eat. That's correct. All right. So you and your staff, you will help people on this journey and help them find their why. And then when they find their why, uh, replace it? Yeah. Well, most of us just have to overhaul it. (laughs) Like for me personally, I mean... I had to deal with the fact that I used food for every emotion. Like if I was angry about something, I literally found myself in the kitchen like just tearing apart an orange and shoving it in my mouth. Well, it wasn't Oreos, but it wasn't the point. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm still using food as a way for me to kind of think through and well, no, let's go do something else. Let's deal with the emotional world differently now. And that's really what this program guides people into doing. That's Nan DeGroat from Young Single Mom to Wife, Mother, math teacher and now health coach and creator of Breakthrough M2. Get details at BreakthroughM2.com. Thank you for tuning in today. Our thought for the day is from author Elizabeth Gilbert, who said, I've never seen any transformation that didn't begin with the person in question finally getting tired of their own nonsense. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.